This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from Go Abundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for Go Abundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. I'm here for another interview uh, at Park City at our 10th annual Winter Mastermind. Uh, it's exciting. It's been a great time here. I've enjoyed it. You'll hear a lot more about it from me, I'm sure, as we go along. But I want to bring in one of the speakers that we had last night. I got to watch him, and uh, I took a bunch of notes. I was just telling him uh, a few of the things that I want to really dive into today. But he is a speaker, a writer, a TV host, a Hall of Fame Paralympic athlete, Amongst other things we're going to dive into, wait do you hear about 1998. Stay tuned for 1998. What a year. What a year. I can't wait to get into that. Uh, Chris Waddell, welcome, my friend. Thank you, Jamie. I look forward to a nice teaser there. This is good. Yeah. I, try, I try to keep people engaged, right? Yeah, so that's good. now they know they have to stick around, almost rolling their eyes maybe right now. Like, God, now I got to. All right. I got to listen to the whole thing. Right? I hope this guy's interested. 2X speed, whatever they got to do, right? <laughs> exactly. then we'll, we'll get there. We're going to keep them engaged, keep them interested. So I mentioned at the jump, Hall of Fame Paralympic athlete. And we were talking about that. There's obviously a story there how you became a Paralympic athlete. You weren't, weren't born that way. I wasn't born that way. No, I I had a skiing accident when I was 20 years old. I was a ski racer in college yeah. and skiing was my, was my deal really. I mean, it was my greatest teacher, right? Where I'd had my highest lows, highest highs, lowest lows, had to figure out how to move forward from both of them. And then, yeah, then I thought I was on a track and, and had a, my ski pop off in the middle of a turn, fell in the middle of the trail, fairly innocuous. Not like I hadn't fallen before, but broke two vertebrae, bunch of ribs, collarbone, got a knock in the head, all that stuff was conscious, but uh, you know, don't remember anything after my ski popping off and was paralyzed from my waist down. Wow. When did you, when did you know that there was a problem? Like this is different than other falls. Did you think it was a stinger at first and like, ah, oh, it'll come back. Or was it like right away as soon as you fell? I don't remember anything after the ski popping off. So I was talking to my brother was skiing with me. Some friends were skiing with me. I was lying there on the side of the trail and I said, Hey, can, can you unbuckle my boots? And they're like, okay, this is good. Right. Yeah. Can you unbuckle my boots? But I don't remember that. I don't remember. And it was just kind of snapshots, right? So I had the accident, ambulance to the first hospital. My father was a teacher. You know, somebody called him, found him. You know, he went to the hospital looking down on me. I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. And, and that was sort of that snapshot. Then I don't remember anything after that. Then getting on the, uh, on the helicopter, flying to the next hospital. And that's kind of, you know, that was sort of it. And there wasn't that moment of like, oh, no. I can't wiggle my toes. Right, right. And even the doctor, the doctor who told my parents didn't have a tremendous bedside manner. They were, they were waiting in this tiny, as they, as they, uh, as they describe it to me, this small little waiting room, my yeah. brother and my parents. And the doctor came out and said, you know, your son, your brother broken his back, never walk again. And the guy basically like turned and left and oh. just left them holding the bag. Right. And so, uh, so it was pretty amazing because, because, they cried, obviously. It was, it was, you know, it was emotional. And my father said, that's the last time we can cry. We have to be strong for Chris. And it was pretty amazing, you know, just in that moment to say, this is what we need to do. This isn't about us. This is about him. Mm. We need to support him. And, and so after that, they kind of, they wanted me to create my own history. So they didn't want the after school special of like, hey, you're paralyzed. You'll never walk again. But don't worry, your life will still be OK. You know, they didn't want that. They wanted me to figure out what was going on. And obviously I knew something fairly significant was happening. But 
but really I didn't have this stigma mm. of you're paralyzed, mm. at which in a lot of ways, like your life is over. And so the, kudos to them. I mean, they did a tremendous job of of creating that environment that allowed me to be healthy. If not for that moment, that time, that that reaction of your father, that's the last time we cry about this, would you have gotten there on your own, do you think? Uh, I mean, that's the hypothetical, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, I, I'm a product of, of my parents' teaching yeah. as well. I mean, they're amazing, amazingly resilient people. And, and, and so I'm lucky in that respect. I mean, I'm lucky to, to know that it was never going to be about them. It wasn't about the drama. It wasn't about, oh, how do we handle this? It was like, we do whatever we have to do. Mm. And, and, you know, I mean, that's what I'd been around since the time I was little. So maybe I would have been able to do it on my own, but it would have been a lot harder. What's the, you said you're, you know, they were amazingly resilient people. Looking back now, unpacking it as a, as a, not a kid anymore kind of thing, right? Like when you look back at your childhood, were there moments that maybe in the moment you didn't recognize as, wow, these are really resilient people, but bring it to this, this big moment where, you know, last time we're going to cry, can you reflect back on a resilient moment in your parents' history that you observed as a child that maybe served you in that moment? I think it was really the decisions that they made. They didn't want to deny us anything. Mm. So my brother and I grew up as ski racers. My father was a teacher, a public school teacher. My mother was a social worker. So this is not telling you, okay, let's go into ski racing. Let's yeah. go into a Rolex board here. No, but they found ways. I mean, I think that was the resilience of like, there wasn't a whole lot of money coming in, but let's figure out a way to do what we want to do. And, you know, I look at it now and say, that's a way of creating a rich life because it's it's really about the interactions that you have with people. Yeah. My father coached our teams. So he had that opportunity to leave school and go coach our teams. But it's but it's also what you're what you're able to do. I mean, it's so easy to put a no on it. No, we can't afford that. Right. And they're like, no, we're gonna find a way to and teaching. They both they both taught skiing. My mother sold real estate. You know, she was a waitress at one point. That's the resilience of somebody who says, yeah. We're going to find a way to make it happen. It might be it. might be hard, but we're going to find a way to make it happen. Yeah, it's the whole Robert Kiyosaki. We don't say I can't. We say how can I, right? That kind yeah. of that kind of mentality that they had. Uh, as a skier prior to your accident, where was your – I mean, you were obviously – a your story last night we heard about, you were a very, very good skier. Were you Olympic level? Were you on the path to that? What was your skiing – where I, were you going in that? In that I was good enough to know that I wasn't great. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I was going to ski in college. I was hoping to <laughs> hoping to ski well yeah. in college. And, you know, as I told you guys, I, I had this great, crazy dream that I wanted to be an All-American. That would be my Olympics. And, you know, I thought, hey, if everything broke exactly right, that might work, yeah. you know. But uh, but no, I was I, I was I was decent. I was good enough to know I wasn't great. Interesting. Advancing the story a little bit now. So you, it took you some time, obviously, to get back on the hill and start skiing. What did that, what did the process of recovery look like for you? What did, what did it take? What were some of the ups and downs? Just some of the highlights or, or lowlights, if you will, of that time that you were in recovery. Yeah. So, so it's funny. I, so it was two months in the hospital. I was in the first hospital at Hartford Hospital for, I think, about two weeks. Mm. And then I left and went to uh, University Hospital in Boston, which I think is now integrated with another with BU or somebody, something like that. But, sure. but this was University Hospital at that time. That was one of the most traumatic days for me was going from one hospital to the other. I felt so fragile. I felt so delicate. My, my spine felt like, felt like a fluorescent light, you know, like oh, it could, wow. it could shatter in any moment. The night before I was watching a hockey game and one guy checked another guy into the boards and I 
well, they better watch it. They could hurt each other. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that that had not occurred to me prior to this. And it was, there hadn't been a lot of snow. It was frost heaves. It was all this stuff. And it was just bumpy and jarring the whole way. I ended up with a urinary tract infection when I arrived at the hospital, had a fever of 103. My, uh, my, my nurse was there who ended up being a complete godsend a guy named Jim Linehan. I had, I, I hadn't seen him in 30 years. I can, I reconnected with him. I was writing my memoir and, and doing videos with people who'd been important to my life. And, you know, he was so important to my life, but then I leave and he moves on to the next person. Right. And it's, it's triage for him the whole time. And, uh, and he packed me in, in cold compresses and denied me blankets. And I just wanted to go to sleep and they had to get the fever down. And so that was, that was the only time that I cried when I was in the hospital. My mother was there and I told her, I don't want to be like this forever. And the being like this forever was that I wasn't in control, that my body was doing something and I, I couldn't do anything to get better. And, and it was really, it was interesting. I think it was, it was like a, it was like a tropical rainstorm in some ways. I cried and I was like, okay, I have to be, I have to be strong. I mean, I talked about it last night, this idea of how can I create the best environment for me to be healthy? I didn't have a lot of jobs. That was my job. It right. was like, how can I do this? How can I allow myself to to be healthy? And that was that was giving me the best chance. And that, you know, if I delved into that depression, if I if it's a frustration, whatever it was, it wasn't gonna allow me to be healthy. So it's like, hey, here's your job, which is um, which is the amazing thing to, to look at now, right? As our lives are a little bit easier. And we go, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I'll work on that later. I don't have to deal with that right now. <laughs> when did you know you were going to ski again? So I think I knew, I think I knew the whole time. Yeah. I thought I'd ski standing up. So I was imagining myself skiing. I mean, I, I so, couldn't. So you, you were sort of, uh, uh, denying the idea that you were going to always be a paraplegic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the, nobody told me that I was a paraplegic, so I didn't have oh, I this, understand. this obstacle. Right. Sure, sure. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to recover. And part of it, you know, this ego of being an athlete, like, oh yeah, yeah, that affects those people. This won't affect me. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get better, but yeah, I was, you know, I'm lying there in bed. I had a whole lot of time. I couldn't train, right. but the mental training, you know, the, the mental imagery, I could do that. And so that's what I was doing. I was lying in, in bed trying to take advantage of it. I knew I would ski. A friend of mine uh, asked me if I would be in a movie about docu about adaptive skiing while I was still in the hospital. Mm. A friend of his was making a movie. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. That ended up being uh, to dream again. Uh, Debbie Robbins did this, did this movie. And, mm. and so, yeah, I consented while I was still in the hospital. And I think I knew that I was going to do it, but people make it, made it easy for me. I went back to college after the accident, two, two months after the accident, went to spring semester, left for the summer, went to a place called Shake a Leg, which was a, a secondary, uh, secondary rehabilitation place for, for people with spinal cord injuries. It was a, a holistic healing center. So a lot of body work, rolfing, uh, Feldenkrais, massage. Uh, one of the guys who started, uh, Bill Zimmer, was was a choreographer. So it was body movement. Wow. Uh, which was amazing, you yeah. know, and I'm, I'm a para. There were a bunch of, there were some high quads who were, you know, people who were, who were generally not in a, in a manual chair, you know, but, but yet this body movement. And, and uh, so that was, that was an amazing place. I came back feeling whole. Mm. And my coach, a guy named Bart Bradford, said, uh, hey, I saw these guys skiing in monoskis this summer, training out of Mount Hood. 
we want to get you on. We want you to be part of the team. Mm. And so it was about $2,500 item. Got me a mono ski, got me a ski sponsor, got me a goggle sponsor, all this wow. stuff, you know? So it made it super easy for, and I was part of the team, you know, I was a, I was a complete liability, but I was part of the team. You know? <laughs> sure. I, was like, I could barely make it down the hill, you know, and I'm, I'm on the course, but I was, I was part of the team and I got better. How, how prep, what year is this uh, around? So accident was, was December 20th of 88. Okay. Started skiing again, December 17th of 88. So, so three days short of a year mm. while well, skiing, I started falling all over, all sure, over the place, sure. but you know, I was on skis and, uh, and then, then, so yeah, so that was the 89, 90 season was my first season. And, and the college coaches were amazing it. And they said, yeah. Yeah, like let's let's have him come to the races. So yeah. I went to the races, and and uh, actually my first race as a little kid was a place called called Brody Brody Mountain, Kelly's Irish Alps, and that was where uh, the Williams Carnival hosted their their giant slaloms. That was my first that was my first race back. So wow. from a seven year old to a twenty one year old. <laughs> I might well have been better as a seven-year-old actually than I was as a twenty-one-year-old. I, I highly doubt it, but I get it. So what? Uh, at what point did you realize you were pretty good at this? Maybe better than most. Oh well, it's funny because I I knew I was going to get back into racing, yeah. and obviously I was still on the team. I went to my very first race at a place. It's, it's funny how it ends up closing a lot of loops. The place, the first place that I ever skied as a little kid was at, at an actual ski area. It was a place called Mount Sunapee. Mm. And that was where my first race was, my first disabled race, adaptive race. And I went there and thought, okay, well, I'm going to be the best in the world. We talked about this, mm -hmm. you know, last yeah. night. And like, I'm going to be the best in the world. And, and I had to go to this first race. I had to qualify for nationals and do all these things. There were some intermediate steps and I showed up at this race and it wasn't, it wasn't a really, it was like a NASTAR kind of course. It was a, it was a relatively easy hill. It was a relatively easy course. And, but I still was not good at all. I mean, if I was pointed, pointed downhill for 10 feet, I felt like I was completely out of control and yeah. I was going to kill myself, but yet I had to figure out how to do it. And so, so I got into the start and, and actually looking at the course beforehand, I'm looking at the course and I synced back into being a ski racer. There's a way that you carry yourselves and there's an attitude. Mm. And I looked at it and I was like, who are you? Like you have, you have, you have no right to carry yourself this way. You can wow. barely ski. But, uh, but that was essentially it. And I ended up winning my class that first day. I won the first run by like seven seconds or something. I went way, way faster than I ever imagined I could go. And okay. be, what do you, what do you attribute that to? So you, you talked a little bit about, you know, you weren't that good. You were kind of newer at this, you know, but I'm going to be the best in the world. And I want to dive into that a little bit because I, I find that really, really interesting and fascinating among peak performers, how they make that decision and somehow have the, have the, the ability not to be swayed by others' opinions or judgment or anything like that and stay, stay to true to task on that. And I want to ask you about that in a moment, but, but what was the difference in that day? What was it that made you seven sec? I mean, I, I'm not a, I don't follow skiing or anything like that, but I know that's a big bit. You win by milliseconds in, right. in, in that sport, right? So seven seconds when you're saying at the beginning of this, like, I'm not very good. How? How, how was really, one was, I had no idea how fast I had to go to qualify for nationals. The, the competition, they were, they were not too far ahead of me. 
there was one guy, this guy Tom Ferran, who whom I had seen. He was a big race, road racer. He was he was a great track athlete and road racer. And and I saw him and I was like, oh okay, Tom's in this. Like I'd been in this road race with him that summer, and it was yeah, I might have beaten him by seven seconds. He beat me in the road race by like half an hour or something like wow. that. You know, I mean, it was it was an entirely. He was showered and had eaten and. <laughs> He was gone, you know, by the time I finished. So, sure, sure. so he was a significantly better athlete than I was. And I looked at him and I was like, okay, I don't know who this guy, I mean, I know who this guy is. I don't know how good he is, but this is, I've got to put it. And, and I think it was just sort of that, do what you're supposed to do. Hmm. Just do your job. And sometimes that's the easiest part is I don't know how fast I have to go, but I know I have to go as fast as I possibly can. And, and sometimes that's easy. And, and, you know, sometimes the risk is, well, I just don't want to embarrass myself and I don't want to be last. So let's try to avoid that. So sometimes that's, that can be the greatest motivation. But yeah, I, I think it was just, it was just, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. Like, go ahead and do it. And, yeah. And I did it, and and I won. I think I won the second run by a, by a second. So so I just I, you, you scaled improved. it back a little bit. Well, or or you just leveled up those around you. You talked about Roger Bannister last night, right? right? Once he hit the four second mark, everybody else all of a sudden was going for four seconds. So, the four oh, minute, yeah, four, four minute, minute mile, four yep, second, exactly. four second mile would be impressive too. Yeah, um, four minute mark. Excuse me. Um, Man, I had a question that just popped into my head and it popped out. I'll, I'll come back to it if I if I think of it. But uh, I want to go to this this concept of of um, saying I'm going to be the best in the world and then staying true to that. When you made that decision, well, I, actually, I remember my question, so I'm going to double back on this here real quick. The question is, and and I, I don't know how to ask it if it's insulting at all. I apologize, That's but okay. the fact that you had that mindset on that run, seven seconds that you won by, right? Like, you know, I, I just, I know I have to go as fast as I need to kind of thing, or as fast as I possibly can. Like for me, I have to go as fast as I possibly can. Would you have had that mindset prior to the injury? In other words, it's a way of asking essentially, like how much does the injury that you had and the, and the, and the new life that you took on, the fact that you came back from that, how much does that resilience serve you in a moment like that, where you're just going to go as fast as you possibly can, if at all? You know, so last night I talked about that moment in the hospital where, where I felt like, okay, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. I mean, the closest to death that I've ever been, and I'm still me. Mm. Like it hasn't, it hasn't changed who I am on an essential level. And, and what came out of it for me was I'm not going to be intimidated again. Mm. And I think that that's, that's really a big part of getting into that start that I wanted to believe that. I wanted to believe that I was transformed, that I wouldn't be intimidated, that the fear that had been the gatekeeper in the past wasn't going to be that gatekeeper. The thing that told me, no, no. You don't need to try this, mm. you know, and, and that, that coming into that starting gate, that was a big part of it was, okay, you said you're not going to be intimidated again. Like, let's, let's it, let go of the baggage. Let's just point it downhill and go. And, and, and that's what I did. And it was, it was really, it was, it was amazingly powerful and it, it continues that that's something that I know that is part of who I am. But it gets harder to remember that, right? That's the that's part of what we have to do is remember, hey, you said you weren't going to be intimidated again. Right. Like don't act like you're intimidated. How don't do you give do up? That, how do you do that still today? Or do you? No, I do. I do. And and I mean I, I went through like the like the Teddy Roosevelt quote last yeah. night. Oh, that you know, was amazing. Yeah. Not the man in the arena. Um It's a long quote to remember too. So it's <laughs> <laughs> pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. But it's pretty meaningful, but uh or really meaningful. But I think I think that's it is, is remembering who, who I want to be and remembering that 
my best performance is is when I'm not intimidated. Mm. When I'm when I'm that little kid playing in the backyard, right? To say, okay, well, the intimidation that's telling me that this is serious, yeah. that this is important. Well, let's utilize that. And and I've been successful at it. I haven't always been successful at it, that's for sure. But but it, knowing that that's part of who I am helps me to to set those big goals. Is that what serves you when it comes to say your relationship with failure? So if it, it, you know the fear of failure or, or whatever, is that is that the tactic or the mindset that serves you in those moments? Yeah. So the failure. I mean, so so in the end of that Teddy Roosevelt, he's talking. You know, that that at, at worst, uh, uh, oh. Now I have to start a little bit further. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. At, at best to uh, at best to uh, to know the triumph of high achievement, and at worst uh, to um, wow. Now I'm totally blowing it. Uh, to to uh, to 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 fail while daring greatly, so that so that you're not among those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. Yeah. You know, and I think that that ultimately is the idea. Is like we're going to fail. I mean, we are going to fail, but. But fail while daring greatly. Yeah. Fail while daring greatly. Then, then there's something to come out of it, and it's, it's the hardest thing. I mean, in an individual sport, there's no one else to blame, right? If you fail, you failed, yeah. and and you're sort of stripped naked, kind of thing. And it's like, okay, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to find out really how good you are? Mm. And 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 that's the reminder. I mean, and that's the reminder. I think it's this. Uh, you know, Stephen Pressfield talks about this whole idea of the resistance, right? I mean, it's the thing that's telling us that we're not great, you right, know, that, right. and it's like that, that to me is that's, that's the opponent, isn't it? It's that resistance and that resistance in me. And, and I think, you know, we, it's really easy to sort of give it a lot of credence and go, well, it's got to be here for a reason. Mm. And it's like, yeah, cause it's sort of self-preservation to a certain extent and going, well, if you don't risk anything, you don't lose anything, but yeah. if you don't risk anything, you potentially lose everything, right? I often think the greatest risk we take is taking no risk at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Then we I, haven't lived. I've had this thesis or theory that fear of failure is rooted in fear of judgment. Do you agree with that? Or do you see that as uh, as maybe, maybe you know, they're two separate and distinct things? No, I think it is. I mean, I think that the, the failure is one, we have to explain it to ourselves. Right. And then two, we have to explain it to other people. And then three, we probably have to explain what other people see in us as a result of our failure, explaining us, explaining it to ourselves again. That's interesting. I, I love how you phrase that because I think that's the, like, you know, you are a significant athlete. We talked about Hall of Fame, right? Hall of Fame level. And we're going to talk about the Paralympics and everything else that you went, that you, that you've done uh, here in a moment. But I love how you just made that one, two, three, because I could say maybe in my life, number one is not I have to explain it to myself. Number one is I have to explain it to others. And I feel like the difference between somebody who's achieved what you've achieved and somebody who's on the path, like I feel like and hope I feel and hope I am, yeah. is reversing that order a little bit. I think that's I think you honestly gave me a, a really good insight into the into the concept of peak performance. You have to explain it to you first. Fair? Right. Yeah. No, I think I do. Right? I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yes. Yes. I mean, that's the why didn't I do what I said I was going to do? You right. know, and and we know too, right? I mean, we're our own easiest person to lie to. Yeah. But we also know, right? It's like, okay, well, that's the story you're telling me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm buying it, you know. So, but but yeah, the other people, that's the that's the hard part too. I mean, that's where, you know, it's interesting, like being a ski racer. I mean, sometimes you throw that fit as you as you blow out of the course or whatever. Right. 
which is often for other people, right? And so, yeah. I mean, it's one of those like, That's yeah, true. yeah, I'm I'm mad, but I'm better than this. Yeah. So you guys need to know that I'm better than this. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah, like you miss a shot in basketball, you do the my bad thing because everybody needs to know that you know it's my bad or, or you throw it all out of bounds or whatever the case may be, right? It's the same sort of thing. That's a great point. That's a great point. All right, let's go through uh, up to, you know, so you're, you're an Olympic athlete at this point. Take me through, you know, the... the I guess the beginnings of that, like when did you like, okay, I'm, I guess Olympics is where I'm going to get to now. And then take me through that experience. Yeah. And so, and so obviously it's, it's Paralympics on my side, right? Yep. So, so it's, which it's still Olympics. It's still, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same <laughs> ideal, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's the Genesis is from the same place Yes, that, that it really is again, getting an opportunity to compete against the very best, best. people yeah. in the world and to achieve that sense of what's impossible. Mm. I think that we as as people sitting on the couch feel like we've achieved something too, right? We've watched and we're like, we as human beings just just did something that we thought was Good impossible. Point. Yeah. And, and and so so for me, uh, getting involved in that and getting to compete on the highest level, I mean it started in the beginning. It started it started when in some ways when I saw this woman Diana Golden ski at, at a ski race. She was a, a an above the knee amputee. And and she was the greatest athlete in a lot of ways in that that she didn't have the the excuses that the rest of us had. Like, hey, I'm going to fall down and I'm going to get back up mm -hmm. and I'm coming for you. You know, and it's like, those are the athletes that are scary. Yeah. Those are the ones you're like, oh, won't you just quit? Right, you know, right. like just quit. That's yeah. that's easier. And and those are the ones who actually make themselves into something. It's so easy. The the idea of talent, I think oftentimes is 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 something that can abandon you at the most critical moment. Whereas this idea of grinding, this idea of, of building yourself is, okay, the, the most critical moment is the moment you've been preparing for all the way along. Yeah. And so, so then you're, then you're more prepared for it. Whereas if you're just going on, on talent, it's like, uh Oh, am I going to question my talent? That's an amazing point. I had Sean Casey on a, a major league baseball all-star. He talked about the reps, right. That he put in because in the moment you're right. You can't rely on talent. In fact, we talked about the difference between like a major league fringe player and a major league all-star is razor thin. And it really boils down to, you know, the, the intensity with which you go through the reps for you building up to that. I mean, obviously you've got, you know, you're, you're training every day. There's work, but were there one or two things maybe more, two, three things, whatever it is, in your routines, in your habits, in whatever you were doing in preparation for uh, the, the the Paralympics, was there anything in there that were really like the core? These are my core habits, my my lead domino. If I don't do these things, and I, in, in that moment when I need to rely on talent and I can't, I can rely on this. Was there anything that you did mindset-wise, physically, anything for that matter? There were a couple of things. And one of it, one of the things is if you're going to get to that level, the confidence that you have is feeling that you've outworked everyone. Yeah. You know, you get in the gate and you go, Oh, I'm great. And it's like, hold on. No, I feel like I've outworked people. I've mm -hmm. earned my position here. One of the things that I would do before a ski race is I would try to make as big a turn or turns as I could on as flat a terrain as I could. Mm -hmm. So technically it ingrained that motion. I had to be technically superior in order to not fall over because I didn't have the benefit of speed right. to keep me upright. And so this was just slowing it down beforehand. Say, this is what you want to do. Each step. This is yeah. each little step and really, really fight for it. Really make it happen. And then, then when you get in the gate, you don't have to think about that. 
that stuff's ingrained. And so, so yeah. And, and I mean, I talked about last night, the idea of teaching instinct, right? Yeah. Teaching instinct, the, the idea of teaching your muscles how to react. That's, that's where training is purposeful is teaching them what to do and being vigilant about that. And it really was about showing up every day and being vigilant so that then when you go through the starting gate, you don't have to think about it. And, yeah. and it was to the point where, you know, for me, I wanted to get out of my head as much as I could. I'd, I'd do my best to convince myself I'd made a mistake before I went through the starting gate that everything was lost. Yeah. I didn't have anything to lose. Yeah. Because I'd already lost it. It's like, go for it. You know, I struggle a little bit with uh, uh, relating that to cause the, the athletic, the, the athletes that, that I speak to, that, that's, that's, I love that about athletics that we can talk about it in terms of it. it's very it's very visible and obvious like I, I can picture what you're talking about like flat surface you have to know every muscle mo mo motion right you have to know what every piece of you is doing you have to like go through it mentally you have to feel every inch of it so that when you're going downhill man it's it's uh it's instinctual like you were saying right can you relate that to maybe you know your post-athletic career not to go i don't want to go we're going to go back to the paralympics but can you just like anything in your post-athletic career how do you relate that to a guy who's behind a desk or to an entrepreneur who starts trying to start a business or you know whatever a, a non-athletic endeavor is there is there a is there a similar um uh, comparison or is there a comparison you can make to something people can do or maybe you've done post-athletically that's akin to every little motion on that flat surface and really leaning into them creating instinct it, it i think it's routine i mean that's effectively what this was this was my routine of preparing and it's and it's the safety in a routine yeah because we have the stuff i mean we have the stuff that wakes us up at three o'clock in the morning right sure. and it's like oh i've got to deal with this this is Last this night. is a big problem yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you're preparing for this yeah, yes yeah. that's it i'm yeah, sorry i'm sorry it's, 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 a, it's a lot of pressure on you're you. on it you're on it <laughs> exactly but uh but but the routine is the thing that grounds us mm. it grounds us and says okay this is who i am this is what I've done. I don't have to be, I don't have to expect something that I haven't, that I can't do. Mm. I can, I can be who I am. And I think that that's makes us human, makes us, it, it, it keeps us from taking ourselves too seriously. Yeah. And I think that that's really the, the objective is, is finding that routine. What's the, what's the way that I start my day? What is it? What does it have to be? Boom, boom, boom. Okay. Now I'm ready to go. Yeah. What do you do now to start your day? What do I do? I it's it's funny. I, I I'm saying this. I'm not quite as good as I as I really should be at the moment. I mean, this is the this is the funny part is that that you know what you're supposed to do. Sure. But implementing that, and one of the things that I that I am implementing right now, and it takes a while to create a habit. You don't just create a habit in a day. Right. Is is actually looking at the reasons why I'm doing it. Mm. So I have my mission, my purpose, and my role, right? So, so mission is to turn perception of disability upside down. The purpose for is really for me is to is to be efficient, to be effective, and to be healthy. Mm. You know, it's like you can grind yourself into dust, right? Yeah. And 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 you don't have anything left. But do you have do you have another life? Can you do can you do things well that afford you that time, that peace of mind? to actually be healthy and and really the, the uh, my role is is to tell the story i'm recognizing i'm i'm a storyteller this yeah. is this is who i am and so that's part of i have i have a a sheet of paper that i've that i've uh, printed on on photo paper and i'm in the process of of actually framing that right now but then it has my historical uh, what i've done historically it's so easy to forget evidence that you've that you've done something yeah that you're like oh okay back then i might not feel it right now yeah. but but i was somebody mm. 
So there's that. And then, and then the things that building confidence to me really should be a primary goal. We're in a position where we feel like our confidence makes us successful, Yeah. but it's like, okay, well show up and be confident. It's like, okay, all right. Well, 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 well don't be nervous. I'm like, yeah. well, thank you. Now, yeah, I'm, thank now I'm more nervous <laughs> now that, as a result of telling you, telling me not to be nervous. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so those are, you know, that to me is just, just a reflection and a reminder. It's slowing it down. Going, boom, 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 boom. Okay. These, these are who I want to be. That, that whole saying last night that I was talking about the idea of how can I create an environment for, to be healthy or right. to heal. Yeah. You know, it's like, how can I do that? How can I do that on a daily basis? Because it's like working out. Our days are like working out where yeah. you break it down and you have to build it back up and hopefully building it back up allows you to be stronger, you know, more, more efficient or whatever. But if we continually just break ourselves down, I mean, that's, that, that seemed like as an adult, what we, what we kind of look at, right. And we go, okay, well, this is it. I'm just going to grind myself into the ground. And it's like, oh, good. So you're not going to be worth anything later on. Yeah. You know, this right. is, this is a reminder of like, no, you have to be viable. You yeah. have to be worthwhile. So I love that. I love the evidence-based thinking versus emotion. Cause then when I know when I get in my monkey brain of, oh my God, all of this is going to go to, is it, is, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you think about evidence, all the things you've accomplished today were, were a version uh, you know, a 10 year old, a 10 year ago version of you would be impressed by. Right. But once you achieve that, now it's like, ah, but along the way you faced adversity, everybody has faced adversity, whatever you're doing, the, the, the job you're in right now at a, at a corporate uh, career, the size of your organization, if you built an entrepreneurial uh, endeavor of some sort, the athletic uh, pursuits that you put, that you've gone through, they were always at some point a wish. Now they're reality. And you kind of, you're always in that, in that gap looking at the, at the, what's the next ideal that I want to achieve. And looking back at the evidence often tells you like, wow, actually, when faced with a challenge, I've done really well overcoming it. Or when wanting to be the best in the world, I've done it before. And you've done a, uh, something else very significant. But So take me to the uh, kind of going back to Paralympics. So walk me through that experience for you. Give me what were the highlights of that? I mean, obviously, it was a, a, an incredible experience, a culmination of, of everything you wanted to do. But yeah, it, it was kind of interesting. So my first games was in Alberville in 92 and I graduated on skis. I went to Middlebury College. We have the only cap and gown skiing procession. So, interesting. so we did a cap and gown skiing procession. I hopped on a plane the next day and then I was a full-time athlete and, and, uh, and went to Alberville. But backing up, the start of that season, our head coach said to me, we got on the lift together at our very first camp and he said, you're not going to make the team. Mm. So they're combining classes and and it's just not going to work. These guys are coming down into your class and you're not going to be competitive. And, and, you know, I said to him, I'm just graduating. I'm going to graduate from college. And I was like, well, if I, if I don't make it, then that's it. Mm. Like I have to go, I have to be responsible. I have to go start a career. This is, <laughs> I can't, I can't waste my time here. We've got to do this. And who knows whether he listened to me, whether that affected him. I ended up making the team. And one of my biggest challenges, I think, as a kid growing up was that 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 I couldn't shine in the in the biggest races, mm. the biggest competitions. That's what I felt was my downfall, is that that I didn't rise to that occasion. And we went to we went to Alberville. Our the our team director, a guy named Jack Benedict, had lost both of his legs in in uh, Vietnam. 
and I guess was the was the first guy to stay in active duty. Mm. Like, like lost his legs as an amputee, wow. was in active duty, and he was he was a badass. I mean, he called himself a street fighter. You know, he was a wrestler, and you know, and in, uh, in Nebraska, and just like he was, he, he was. You knew he was on your side, and you were really happy. Yeah, sure. That sure. he was on your side. This guy's with me. Yeah, you know. Yep, yep. Or or I'm with him. Right, right. Yeah, it was more appropriate. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm with him. So with him. we're all yes. good. And we got to our first meeting, and he said, uh, said you're on this team to win medals. Mm. That's it. I said, okay, all right, this is it. I'm part of this team. I'm, I'm on the inside role. That's your role. That was my role. That was, yeah, a simple job. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just go win medals. And I went and had more fun in Alberville. I was like the, the, the burden of trying to make the team was suddenly that was relieved. And I was like, okay, now my job is to go beat up on people in the rest of the world because mm. that's what Jack told me. I'm here to go beat up on people in the rest of the world and and ended up uh, beating the guys who were in my class, the guys who had come down into my class. I was the top U.S. finisher in both my – I ended up with two silvers in the slalom and giant slalom, beat guys that I really hadn't beaten all year long Yeah, and, and went, okay, <laughs> this is the guy I want to be. I want to be that guy with, that when the lights go on – I'm on. I can perform because there are, I mean, we know how it is too, right? I mean, there are, there are people who are, who are practice, practice performers, you know, who are the best people in practice, but can't perform. And, and really my goal was to be both of those, to be that guy in practice. But when the lights came on to go, okay, now we enjoy it. Now this is the time not to say, oh, this is the expectations are so much like, no, no, this is when we enjoy it. This is when we get an opportunity to show really how good we are. And, And it worked. Amazing. We only have a few minutes left, so I want to talk about a couple of things here. I want to go to 1998. We teased this at the <laughs> beginning. So you were on the People Magazine uh, 50 Most Beautiful People list. I asked you what number. You said they don't rank it, but we'll say you were in the top two, three. Yeah, yeah. For the yeah, sake yeah, of we'll, argument, we'll do that. I mean, I mean, Leo was in was in Titanic that year, you know. So he had a he had an inside track, you know. Four. We'll make him four sure, though, right exactly. behind you. Right, behind right there. You go. Um, but tell me about that. What 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 what. What does what comes of being on the 50 most beautiful people list? Well, it's a bit of a funny thing because I was doing some modeling at the time for an agency that represented solely disabled models. Mm. And they wanted to change the paradigm of what was beautiful. And the guy who was running, you know, it's an uphill battle, right? He's selling sure. it, selling it, selling it. And he called me right before I was supposed to leave for Nagano in, in the, the Paralympics in 98. And he said, Hey, uh, you know, I sent some books to people magazine trying to get an article. They, they don't want to write an article, but they, you know, they want you for people for 50 most beautiful people. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. You know, like, Hey, you know, I understand, you know, you gotta, you gotta have some optimism in your life. You don't have to sell me. And he called me back a couple of days later and said, Hey, we've got to schedule that shoot. And I was like, schedule which shoot? He's like for the 50 most beautiful people. And I was like, Oh, Oh, you mean that's real? I thought you were just selling like this hope, you know, I thought this was it. And so coming back from Nagano, we spent two and a half days, I think it was in Honolulu. And that's where I did the shoot. I went to the, uh, what, what is it called? The pink Hawaiian, the pink Hawaiian. Yeah. Uh, and so went to the pink Hawaiian, did the shoot. And the woman who was shooting it, Oh God, I'm totally, fr- I'm so, I apologize that I can't remember her name right now. Uh, I don't uh, know her, so know I'm, exactly, I'm not, I'm not exactly, insulted by it. But, yeah. but she, but she would be. She so, might be. Yeah. So I apologize. I'm, and, uh, she I, might be a devout tribe of mis- millionaires listener. She too, could well know? be. And so. she said, she said, you have no idea how much this is going to change your career. Mm. And I said, Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure exactly what my career is right now because career implies that you're making money doing sure. what you're doing. And and I had some sponsors, but it was really fairly low level. And and my primary sponsor, I I tripled my sponsorship. Really? I, my my base salary. 
that next year, it really, it, it, it did more from my ability to make a living as a Paralympic athlete than 13 medals that I won in the games. And, and it's still evergreen. It's still, when I, when I do a speech, it's the last thing they say before I go up on stage and, you know, won this, you know, won this, won that Dalai Lama, this and that. And then people magazine, people, Oh, people magazine. Did you hear that thing about the Dalai Lama? That, you know, unsung say, hero of compassion. You know, that, that's pretty cool. Does that piss you off at all? <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just the game in a lot of ways. I mean, it's just, it's the way that things work Yeah. and, and, and you can't, you can't discount it. I mean, you can't discount it. It is, it is as mainstream as it gets and taking that mainstream, it, it affords me an opportunity to then hopefully shed a light on the Paralympics, shed a light on some amazing athletes and, and things like that. So, wow. There's so many more. We only have a couple of minutes before they're, they're going to cut us off here. You've, you're doing a bunch of podcasts here. I know you got a lot going on, but well, hey, there's the Dalai Lama, there's Kilimanjaro, there's all these things. And I want to, of course, uh, make sure people know where to find you, but can you touch real quick on Kilimanjaro specifically? Like, how did that come to be? Why? Kilimanjaro, so, so tallest mountain in Africa. Yeah. I decided one day, I don't feel responsible for this. I really feel like this thought just popped into my head and it wasn't my own. And, I, and it said, you need to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And in a lot of ways, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, climbing the tallest mountain in Africa is an opportunity to, to change the picture, right? I mean, the picture of somebody in a wheelchair, that's not what you're expecting on the top of the tallest, tallest mountain in Africa. And that's, uh, so that was, that was part of it. There are 12, uh, 1.2 billion people, 15% of the population is, is physically disabled, yeah. but it's an invisible part of the population because from the time we're little, we're taught not to stare at someone who looks different. This was an opportunity to stare. Interesting. I love that. I love that. So much more on that we'll get into. I do have one quick question for you. You said last night um, that, Retiring from from competitive sports was the hardest thing I ever did, given the fact that you went through all of what we talked about, the fragility uh, of of your spine feeling like it's not going to, you know, like being in a wheelchair, all of that, the recovery. Uh, why was that the most? Why was that the hardest thing? Why do you think that is? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's interesting to me in a lot of ways, right? Because you would think, okay, not being able to walk yeah. should be the most profound thing that changed your life. But it really my identity became so much of, of who I was as an athlete. It made me different. It made me different from people in a wheelchair, yeah. from the image of somebody in a wheelchair, but it really, it made me different than I was prior to my accident. Right. It made me successful. It made me the best in the world, which I never would have been able to say before my accident that I would have been the best in the world on, you know, a couple of days here or there or whatever it was, you know, but I never would have been able to say that and being able to leave that. So you leave sport, you leave your youth. Mm, true. You leave the passion of who, of that kid. Right. And I was allowed, I was, I was in suspended adolescence up to 36 years old. Right. I mean, I, I retired at 36 years old. So I was that kid yeah. and, and, and it's the hope and the passion and the, the willingness to do whatever it takes and wondering if you're ever going to be that passionate about anything again and wondering also if your greatest days are behind you. Would you trade it to walk again? No, I wouldn't trade. I mean, it's, I get asked this question a lot. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. idea of like, you know, I mean, this is who knows where I would have been yeah. if I hadn't had my accident. Yeah. I know what I've experienced. I wouldn't trade those experiences and the person that I've become for the ability to walk again. I mean, I'd love to be able to walk again. I don't want to have to trade it. You know, I'd do it now or whatever, you know, exactly. yeah. but, but it's, uh, but it, it really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that. And that's, 
That's the biggest message to me is that sometimes the traumas in our lives push us in a direction that that we wouldn't have expected, but can be the most fulfilling part of who we are as people. Yeah. And it's easy to look at it in a context where you think, yeah, but you can't walk. You can't reach the top shelf. And it's like, yeah, but I, I don't know if I would have lived as fulfilling a life. It's hard for, I think, folks that don't have that large of a... Of a it, People that think about like, what would I take away? You know, it might be a bad relationship they were in or about with depression or something like that. Like I would, I wouldn't trade that because I am who I am today, but not walking is like, you know, a, a, it's hard for somebody who doesn't have that. I don't even want to call it disability. Who isn't in that condition to understand, I guess, right? Like for me sitting here, like, wow, to not walk, it's such a significant thing. But at the same time, it sheds light on the mindset of, I success or I'm I die. There's people that say that like I'm gonna have success or I'm gonna die. Like their life is 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 so ingrained in making sure they're successful on their in their purpose and what they were born to be. And that's what I take from that. I take from that that you know walking while significant. Of course you'd want to you know you don't want to die. You of course you want to walk all of that stuff. But you wouldn't you know it's 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 less important to you than living a fulfilled life as you have. It sounds like to me. It, it is. I mean it's interesting. I I didn't an old girlfriend somebody asked her. You know it's like it's got to be. It's got to be hard dating a guy in a wheelchair. And she's like, really? I don't know. He does more than 95% of the people I know. Right. You know, and I think that that's it. I mean, being, being healthy and, you know, is it's like being healthy and whole and having dreams that you can follow. Like that's, that, that's the life. Yeah. I might approach it a little bit differently. And, you know, and there are definitely those times that like, I mean, you know, I look at, at getting in my racing wheelchair and people are like, oh, I'll come for a jog with you. I'm like, I don't really think you want to do that. You know, I mean, world record for, for racing wheelchairs is an hour and 18 minutes. Right. You know, that's that's sub 20 miles an hour, sub three right. minute miles. Right, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a big difference. And there are things that you do. And that's that's the thing. I mean, some of it is just it, it's easy to look at life in a really simplistic way yeah. that it's not. And we have this ability to adapt. And, and Amazing. yeah, so that's it. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they find uh, uh, more about you and learn all, about all these other stories we haven't been able to tell? Exactly. So Chris Waddell living it. That's that's who I am on Instagram. Uh, that's who I am on Facebook. That's also going to be the website. We're in the process of getting the website up right now. And uh, and and One Revolution Foundation. And that's the same on Instagram. That's the same on on Facebook. And we actually have a podcast uh, podcast Wednesday nights on that's live on on the One Revolution uh, Foundation channel or page on Facebook. I love so it. seven to 8 p.m. Eastern time. Live podcast. Yeah. Live, bringing, it, bringing it back. I love it. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Amazing. Right? Chris, yeah. thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it, I James. Appreciate Thanks it. a lot. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.